Hi, I'm Lon Shaver, Vice President with Silver Court Metals, a Canadian mining company with a 17-year track record of profitable operations. We're a significant producer of silver, lead, and zinc. Lon, good to see you. Good to have you back. Um, I think we should be back in July. Um, wanted to talk to you because it's tough times right now. It's, it's, it's tough markets. It's tough for precious metals. It's tough for equities more broadly. Geopolitical scene is a little bit crazy. But people with money have options. You have an operation which is throwing off cash at the moment. So how do you view your options? Well, I think, uh, look, as you said, it's choppy markets. And uh, you know, we look at th- what um, you know, our valuation, the swing factors in our valuation re- recently, and uh, you know, what that means kind of for our mining assets. And we've talked about those mining assets, but it's, it's important to recognize that in our uh, market cap and our valuation, you know, we need to get recognized for the fact that we have 216 million in cash uh, as of uh, June, and we have a uh, portfolio of other investments. The most significant is a 28% stake in New Pacific, which is currently uh, worth uh, just over 100 million U.S. So when we look at um, you know these uh, these challenging times, you know we have cash that's really the fuel for growth uh, to get into and acquire new assets and add uh, more production elements to the to the story, um, diversify our cash flow base, both in terms of geography and type of asset. And then really with the participation in New Pacific, there's going to be a number of catalysts for their uh, projects in Bolivia coming up, uh, which we think is quite exciting for us and for shareholders in Silvercore. Right. But, but let's, break, let's break that down because obviously New Pacific are kind of you know, getting on with their, their, their thing. You've got 28%, which is brilliant, of a $100 million um, US uh, company. But are they looking to you to capitalize them more in terms of their ex- expansion? Well, right now, um, and that 103, that's the value of our stake. So the, their market cap is uh, roughly three times that uh, yeah. in terms of U.S. dollars. But no, going forward, uh, they've got three projects. The flagship is one that uh, a PA is expected imminently. Uh, and then there's two other exploration projects that really have gone from nothing to uh, significant discoveries over the course of 2022. They're going to end the year with 20 million in cash, uh, go into 2023 um, with what's going to be uh, some uh, some fairly sizable targets, both both in terms of milestones uh, on the projects and expenditures. So I would expect that uh, we will have an opportunity to fund them again uh, in 2023, you know, barring some other kind of uh, transaction that, that could occur. Right. But that, that's good for you. Is that is that good for them? Uh, well, well, sure. I think the catalysts that uh, that are coming up for them uh, really are going to support their value and, uh, and provide them with an opportunity to, you know, enter the marketplace. Hopefully, in in more uh, more robust markets and get access to capital to move each of the three projects ahead. Right, but um, I guess in the sense of if you're a twenty eight point two percent shareholder now, does you increasing that level then make it more problematic for them further down the line? Would you do a different type of financing uh, structure with them at asset level? I mean, how, how do you play that? No, I, I think I think it's very clear that New Pacific have to govern themselves appropriately for all shareholders, not just Silvercorp. Uh, but the numbers will speak for themselves, and us and other parties, uh, you know, will assess what these projects look like. And I think I think the market uh, you know can or should know you know we're not in a position here where we're looking to um, uh, you know interfere with the value creation at New Pacific, but rather participate in it. And if we end up being the party that uh, ultimately puts a, a, a top 
top dollar offer on the table, then that'll be great. If somebody else does, well, we'll just make more money than what we've made so far to that investment. Okay. So, and what, what are the other options in terms of your, your current portfolio? And where you allocate capital? Well, really, I mean, there's some uh, organic growth opportunities on our existing assets. Um, obviously, the mines in China, there could be some potential tuck-in and add-on acquisitions in China. But really, we've had a, a global outreach program looking at other assets uh, around the world. And I think the ideal target for us would be that development project where the, the current sponsor is struggling with a tough equity market uh, has dressed up a project to make it look attractive to uh, to seniors and sell that to investors as being a takeover candidate, but the takeover is not coming. Um, and where we see a bit of a diamond in the rough in that project opportunity and where we could acquire it and deploy that cash that we have to get it going and built and maybe not in the same fashion that they're currently thinking about it. Right. We talked last time, I think you said something like, you looked at 30, 30, you did 30 uh, confidentiality agreements um, in the past you know, couple of years. So there's, there's a lot there's a lot of people out there looking for money. The markets have got tighter, cost capital's got more expensive, margins have been squeezed in terms of pressed metal prices coming down, costs coming up. The universe that you're looking at has got smaller. And more well, I think we're still, um, uh, you know, the, the volatility we've seen um, has people looking at where the next money is going to come from in terms of funding the growth, and that's a question. And I think there's people who are uh, eager to, uh, you know, to see that investments. Uh, but I think we're also looking at it from the standpoint that maybe given a bit more time, people's thinking will change and it won't just be looking for investments, but more a view that that uh, it's actually time to uh, to do a bigger transaction. And that would be our preference for a target that we really like. Right. And, and what, what kind of gives you the kind of com- competitive edge? You've got, you, you're sitting on a lot, a lot of cash and you continue to generate uh, cash, but you've not diluted shareholders for, for a long long time um, and I suspect you don't need to anytime soon um, if you if you don't do any kind of big m a activity um, but how, how do you win because there's so much m a happening at, at the moment there's a lot of deals to be had what why, why would someone go with you or you know how would you structure your your type of acquisition so you're not overpaying yet still be able to win yeah I think we have an opportunity in using our paper appropriately in a transaction. And, and if you look at uh, some of these targets and where they're currently being valued, if they were to put up the sale sign and sell out for cash, that's it. You're selling at what is arguably not a great point in the market, and that's all the value you're going to receive from that uh, participation from that investment. If you sell to a larger company where the shares effectively trade like cash, you won't necessarily see a big impact and benefit uh, from that transaction. What we can do in terms of structuring a deal for one of these targets is I like to think of it as kind of like the triple bump in that in that the initial transaction can provide a lift in terms of what the, the company's current market cap is, and that's in a takeover premium. I think then um, when we demonstrate to the market that we found something that we like and we can convey the confidence that this is going to be a great asset contributing to us, I think we get a re-rate in our share price. So that's the second bump that the developer or the target would receive. 
Uh, we're also not looking at targets that are going to be, you know, five years of permitting and construction to production. So if we can get something and we can get moving ahead quickly, the last bump that they would see is a further re-rate in our share price. Uh, and they would be shareholders of Silvercorp at that point in time, a further re-rate when we actually demonstrate that we're bringing this asset into production and starting to deliver cash flows from the asset. Right. And, and in terms of that kind of profile, you described, it, you know, late stage or advanced development um, uh, stage. Um, but there's a kind of jurisdictional component because you've got China and Bolivia. You, you, it almost says to me that you need to be quite careful about the next jurisdiction in which you play. So you, you get a bump too, you know, as, as well as the uh, acquisition target. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, that is true. Uh, and there's certainly countries right now that are you know, more and less favorable. I think the one advantage in a portfolio, and you look at some of the other companies out there that have done you know, well in what have traditionally been you know, viewed as riskier jurisdiction, um, you know, from your finance days, you know, from portfolio theory, as you add uh, uncorrelated uh, assets to a portfolio, overall, the risk of the portfolio goes down and therefore the, the value and the return, you know, uh, goes up. So I think, you know, b- barring going into somewhere terrible, I think we can uh, look at some jurisdictions um, that uh, uh, are maybe perceived as maybe more risky than, say, Canada or the U.S., um, but really, it's a, a great environment to get a license to operate, you know, at the, the community, the local and the government level to actually move ahead and get something developed rapidly. Right. And then just looking at and the bit of the conversation I quite enjoyed um, when we spoke last time. Well, there's a lot I enjoyed, but the, the area which I kind of come back to was when you, when you were trying to hunt for M&A targets and you sort of see these wonderful economic reports, the number of those that actually stand up and are truly economic, I mean, for, for, like I'm not even talking about the kind of inflationary environment we're in, I'm just talking about truly stand up in any normal kind of environment because the, the methodology is not always exactly as advertised. The resource is not exactly modeled as advertised. Uh, you know, you've got, you've got to have your own views on that. Are there any kind of niche aspects to the way that you, you profile some of these companies and maybe affords you, allows you to get into projects where perhaps others might be put off? Have you got any sort of expertise or uh, tolerances um, others might not? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head and that a lot of the studies are written by people who don't have to live with their conclusions. Um, you know, as a mining company and we're, we're you know, we're, we've obviously built mines uh, in China and we're looking, you know, through New Pacific at participating in the building of at least one, uh, you know, mine here. Uh, we have to live with our, our decisions. Uh, I'd say what we typically have been known for is going right back to the resource level and remodeling the resource. And I think what a lot of companies are doing, and again, this comes back to the argument of how do I make myself attractive to a takeover? It's take what is a interesting uh, ore body or deposit, um, but maybe it's not big enough. So what do we have to do? Well, we've got to drop the grade and make it a, a bigger target with more ounces in it, uh, hand it over to the engineers to see whether or not they can engineer on paper an asset or a, a mine that works. Um, you know, we might take a different view. It's not necessarily the size of the ounces ultimately that matters. It's how much money goes in versus how much money comes out and how quickly that money comes back to you. And, uh, you know, that's really been the philosophy of what built uh, the Ying Mining District. And uh, when we look at these other projects, uh, we uh, I won't say we throw away the other studies that have been done by other people, but we definitely discount them and say, well, we'll get to our own assessment of some of these other aspects 
it comes back to the geology and does that deposit give you potential for margin? Yeah, no, I, 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 I can understand. In fact, I, I sometimes joke with the, the guys in percent in, in, in our, on our app. Um, but when I was in banking, it was like I, I would do I, NPV, NPV 5, 6, 8 or, or 10 meant nothing to me. I, I would quite, quite often do an NPV 40. You know, discount heavily what you're, what you're being sold because you're going to go through tough times, uh, good times and, and bad. Um, can I ask about your attitude to share buyback and dividends? Because obviously you want to, they have a fun, they each have a slightly different function. Um, but in the context of going to try and adding answers, that fulfills yet another fa- function in terms of growth. So how do you view all of, all of those things and you know, what weighting do you put to them? Yeah, certainly the, our view on the cash is, is a balance. And uh, I would say the dividend is right now, I mean, with where the share price has gone, the yield has become more meaningful than it was when our, our share price was higher. I'd say the dividend is meant to be uh, symbolic of a company philosophy. Uh, at the management and the board level to basically demonstrate the intention to give shareholders a return. They need to participate in the profitability of the business. So that's the view on, on, on the dividend side. Um, and, and at certain points, the board will make different decisions about whether or not to increase the dividend or keep it the same based on what you know these other targets are. Uh, share buyback, that's meant to be really an opportunistic uh, program where when we just see uh, an egregious mispricing, an opportunity uh, to pick up shares, um, that's where we'll step in and we'll do that. And we've done that a little bit uh, this fall based on the, the market trading. But it's not intended to be a case of you know, shrinking that green box to nothing, um, shrinking the shareholders, the shares outstanding, but then really not having the fuel to grow and to build the business. So that's what we're really looking to preserve that cash for, is to have that available to build the mining business with new attractive mines. Right, and, and, and I know you've talked about potentially needing to look at doing you know, b- bigger deals or to get notice, right? Because doing, doing lots of you know, smaller early stage pro- projects are probably not gonna move the, the dial if, if the more anything, well, if the conversations I've had are anything to be, to go by, um, who and where do you go and seek partners for capital? Whether it be you know raising debt in the marketplace, again, is it, you clearly kind of got the whole Chinese thing going on there. People are going to review about their risk tolerances uh, for that. We've we've heard in the battery metal space where you know companies are being refused capital by Western banks because of the China connection. That started happening with battery metals. For you guys, I know you're you're you know Canadian company, Canadian gold company, but um, are you getting any kind of signals like that in, in terms of your ability to go and raise that debt when you need it? No, I, I don't think that that's really an issue. I think that's going to come down to what's the opportunity that we're presenting to the to the investment community, and and I think that's going to uh, obviously we're unlevered, we're completely unlevered, and you know we could uh, we could lever up at the asset level. Um, you know, based on the, the strong operating performance and the cash flow. And that would be the ability to really tap into a market that other people couldn't, you know, that is the, the China debt markets. Um, but the, the other things that really apply is when we come back uh, to either the lending community or the equity investment community with a new opportunity. Uh, and again, hopefully on the back of demonstrating what's going to be a solid asset that leads to a re-rating, you know, I think we have a number of options open to us at that point. But again, 
it'll be driven by what that opportunity is and what we can uh, articulate to the markets. Right. And what goals have you set yourself? Obviously, you know, operationally in China, I, I, I get it. I think in your presentation, you talk about universe catalysts and so forth, which seems to be predominantly around um, operations and, and, and promising and, and, and the drilling, et cetera. But what goals have you set yourself as a company um, in terms of the kind of growth element? Clearly, acquisitions are a big part of that. But do you have... Have you set yourselves deadlines? Have you set yourself deliverables? I mean, how do you judge yourselves? Well, I would say that that is, you know, that's different. Um, you know, if you look at each of these three boxes, we've got uh, the the existing assets. You know, we've set a target to have a new mill operating, and that will allow us greater operational uh, processing capacity. And we're going to grow our production up to meet that. Uh, either through our existing mines, new mines on our concessions, or some tuck-in opportunities. And that's really just sort of a steady-as-she-goes type program. Uh, you know, new, new Pacific's catalyst will be driven off of what's going on with them and whether or not we're, um, you know, in terms of when we're participating uh, in either a transaction or a financing. You know, as it relates to the uh, the the other targets that we might uh, that we might go after, I mean, really, it's a stair step approach. You know, we can't come to you and say we're going to do three deals and be, you know, four times the cash flow um, that we are now. I think it's going to be let's find that next deal. We know that will be important to the company. It will need to be important for us to do it. You know, um, if we're acquiring an asset, we need to see visibility ideally on sort of that 40 to 50 million of free cash flow a year type opportunity. That's really what we're looking for. Uh, if it's a bit less, but a great asset and maybe a starter project, you know, that can work. Do that one, know that that's going to be a big project for the company, get that down embedded right and running right. And then I think with that and a re-rate, um, and a beachhead in a new market, we can uh, you know build upon that and do further transactions. Okay, so what would you say to shareholders or anyone kind of kind of looking in? The reason I ask this is because um, I wondered what your your pitch is to to investors because I've I've seen you know it's, 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 a, it's a good you know PowerPoint that you've got you can run run through a, a few things but you talk about you know a compelling value for profitable and growing silver producer like silver producers are under a lot of pressure at the moment so. What is the compelling component there for you? Well, I think what we offer is a bit of an insured uh, approach to participating in precious metals, given the fact that we can make money at current silver prices and even lower. We've, we've shown that. And so, so we do provide the opportunity to participate in that metal market. Um, but then with the other catalysts, you know, in terms of New Pacific and also what we can do with that cash, um, that... Um, you know, can really unlock the value of another asset. You know, that is uh, the growth opportunity. So, you know, right now we're a uh, clearly a value play uh, with that precious metals exposure, and uh, it's uh, a case of looking at the track record and saying, you know, trust us when we do something, it's going to be something good. Right. Okay. But if I, if I but if I look at your register, right, um, you've got a lot of institutional guys in there, but they're not holding a lot, right? So in, in total, like 34, 35% of, of the register is, is institutional. And for a company of your size, do you feel that, that you need to address that? 
or do you think you've got the balance right? Yeah, no, we we are under owned institutionally, and I think it's uh, it's a case of getting out with this story and getting in front of investors, uh, and and potentially also the non mining guys because the mining guys are full up with all these stories. I think what we have to go and present to non mining guys say, well, do you have any precious metals exposure in your portfolio? You know, you can buy this company at this valuation. Or you can buy silver core, but a much more attractive valuation. Participate in this market that you don't have exposure to. And also participate in the, the growth profile that we can offer with uh, these other assets, both in terms of the investments and then the cash that we can deploy uh, in those investments and in new opportunities.